everyone. This is Marcel. And this is Isabel, and you're listening to the Top Rank Podcast. For any new listeners, our podcast is an exploratory research platform centered on individuals of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging their fields and the world around them. So we're recording this episode uh, tonight from our respective homes. We're in our hometown of New York City. We're pretty much indefinitely quarantined because of the global COVID-19 pandemic. And so we hope that all of our listeners are safe and keeping healthy in these uncertain and quite scary times. Um, If this ongoing crisis has unveiled anything, it is the sheer unsustainability of our current conditions. Life as we know it just a few weeks ago was normal, but that normal was already a world in crisis, a crisis of catastrophic inequalities where the sustainability of life on earth has been sacrificed again and again for capitalist interests. So it's an apt coincidence that we actually have two individuals on the show today who are going to speak to us about sustainability. And we're very excited to introduce Sustainable Brooklyn, Whitney and Dominique, would you guys be able to tell us really quickly, uh, like maybe a little bio of both of you? Oh, wow. That was a that was a really great introduction. Um, and thank you, Isabel and, and Marcel, for just in, for inviting us, um, you know, to speak on this podcast. I love Top Rank. So um, this is Whitney. And we our tagline is that we are a community based initiative that focuses on bridging the gaps between the uh, current sustainability movement and the targeted communities that are first and most impacted by um, the effects of uh, leading to climate crisis. What that means is that we basically create new ways to educate our community and stakeholders in the areas of agriculture, fashion, and wellness, uh, because those are entry points that really intersect um, deeply with our personal lives. And um, everything we do is just like based on our lived experience as Black women in, you know, the United States. Um, And so we, you know, really focus on changing the narrative of sustainability to center the lived experiences of those who are closest to the concept of sustainability culturally, generationally, um, inherently. Um, and those people tend to be Black, Indigenous, people of color and, and, and communities um, from which we come from. So that, in a nutshell, is um, sort of like, you know, generally what we do. Um, and I came to this sort of line of work um, you know, organically, like growing up, I, you know, we didn't really have much. So it was, you know, my shopping habits, my introduction to fashion, which is just an industry that I've loved, you know, forever. <laughs> I, I love fashion. Um, but the ability to overconsume was never really a part of the conversation for me and my mom. Um, so, you know, shopping sustainability sustainably was sort of just like a part of growing up for me shopping secondhand you know making old things new um that's what I loved and then fast fashion came along and you know that sort of really kind of changed the way I approached consumption and I definitely bought into um fast fashion because to me it was sort of like an entry point into you know wearing what was on trend 
making it even better because I already had the ability to style like old things. Um, and also just like feeling more confident, you know, showing up in the world, going to the first day of school, whatever. Um, so it wasn't until I started studying fashion law in law school that I was really introduced to the ways that fashion impacted the environment and, um, you know, not just the environment, but economically and socially, these impacts were dire all over the world. But what wasn't being addressed was how it was really directly impacting my community. Um, and so like, long story short, I just sort of like, ended up sort of just like chipping away at that question and arrived at the intersection of frustration and all right, I got to do something right after my son was born. You know, I'm thinking about my legacy and what I want that to be like. And at that moment, you know, I posted something on Instagram. Two people hit me up like, yo, do you know Dominique Drakeford? If, if not, you need to. Um, I slid in her DMs. We had like we had a phone conversation where it was just like, yes, yes, yes. Alignment 100 percent. Like, let's meet in person is to really, you know. Just meet each other. Um, and when we met in person, we sat down and just started like mapping out sustainable Brooklyn, just organically based on, on where we really wanted to take our careers and, and our, you know, personal lives, you know, for our community. Wow. That's, I always love hearing <laughs> like the origin story behind how something comes to be. I mean, Dominique, do you have anything you want to add to that, to, to Whitney's tale of how the how the beginning for you guys started um her usual when he hits the what is it all the points the thing, the, <laughs> she hits all the points um but yeah i mean we we came together out of frustration of how the industry and how our community was being represented in the sustainability space but also the love and joy and beauty of our blackness and knowing that we've inherently been sustainable through fashion, food and wellness and wanting to come together and tell that story and connect with our community, provide resources. And I think just our past meeting, my background in sustainability, having a blog and just having the quote unquote educational perspective, which led me to understand how corrupt the educational system is in challenging the narrative um, and the literacy of sustainability. Um, so yeah, it was a, a perfect ma match made in heaven. And we also lived, we found out that we lived like, uh, what, like steps away from each other. And we had been living in these apartments for at that point a year before we met. Um, wow so it was like meant yeah. to be and we found out recently that we're we're cousins by marriage oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's deep. More it, is deep. it is deep wait how did you guys find that out wow uh, okay. again a so cousin deep. of mine <laughs> i know it's deep, it's deep it's deep but a cousin of mine um contacted me and just shared all this information about my family's plantation. My last name is Drakeford, and it turns out that all Drakefords uniquely are uh, related. 
And so I found, like, my cousin sent me, I went down this crazy rabbit hole of my family's, like, legacy on the plantation and how the white Drakefords owned us, and that's how we got our name. And there was a photo of my cousin at our plantation in uh, South Carolina, and I showed it to Wit, and she was like, um, that's my cousin. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's hilarious. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So so family in all senses of the word. That's beautiful. Right, I love, exactly. I, yeah. That's amazing, and it's it's meant to be. And clearly, you all have has found the synergy, and and so like an innumerable amount of like like minded interests. So I'm excited to learn more about what you guys have built and what you all have planned for the future. We're wondering what sustainability actually means to you both, like. How are you defining it in the context of your work? And maybe if there's anything else about how you became interested in this idea, like within both of your educations or or even just noticing in your lives, like a, a real need that informed what your definition is. Yeah, for sure. So my, I guess, formal education definitely is aligned with this whole ideology of sustainability. I have a bachelor's in business environmental management and my master's is in sustainable entrepreneurship and fashion. And I think how sustainability has been defined um, from a larger movement perspective um, at a very base level is producing and consuming um, while meeting the needs of today without taking advantage of you know the needs of the future. And so sustainability was always taught in a very linear fashion. It's like you extract, you produce, you consume, you dispose. We have to be more eco-friendly. We have to help the planet. But the movement and just through my education and just through my personal journey, I've understood the movement to be um, narrated by very white voices. So for me, sustainability has definitely been about that origin definition of African ancestry, the definition of how we've transitioned um, into systems through Jim Crow, through hip hop culture, through vintage and thrifting shopping like Whit and I grew up doing. It's just challenging the mainstream notion of how sustainability looks flipping that shit on its face and saying, honestly, this is how sustainability has, it's what it has always been. And it sucks because the environmental crisis has always disproportionately affect black and brown communities because the foundation of this system has been built on exploitation and, and sacrifice zones. And that's just how our system is run. So definitely coming in with that sort of ethos of, you know what, we're dismantling all of what you guys are talking about, um, but also weaving in the the spirituality components of how we're connected inherently to the land. And so I know it, I just gave this crazy definition, but basically bringing in and contextualizing sustainability from a Black and Brown Indigenous landscape of dismantling, but also amplifying the work that our ancestors have done and continue to do. And that's across every industry, across agriculture, across fashion, wellness, like across it all through commercial agriculture, manufacturing, industrial, it's through it all. It's, It's symbiotic through 
no matter which lens you're looking at um the the exploitation and and the the beautiful black contributions have to be present and i think like you know just like piggybacking off of the idea of these intersections um you know across industries across different sectors um you know i i didn't come at this through education, like I didn't study sustainability or environmentalism per se when I was in um, school, but, um, and I think, yeah, I would like to address that later, (laughs) but um, I did study Africana studies and I, you know, see the the alignment with, um, you know, these movements that have emerged, you know, to really create sustainability for, you know, people, people born in this country who are descendants of enslaved Africans and, um, you know, movements really based on just like the deepest respect for our humanity and for our life. And to me, like that is like, that's the core of sustainability. Like sustainability means like living with compassionate intention to not harm like, and harm can be passive, you know, um, but like to not harm the earth or ourselves or each other. Um, and I think I arrived at this philosophy for me based on, I think just like I was born into it. My mother um, raised me as a Buddhist in, in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I grew up, you know, having these like, Buddhist meetings in my house and meeting all these like really diverse people who but for this um sort of like place to discuss how to move with compassion um but for this space like the you know these people probably wouldn't even their lives wouldn't intersect um and so it became important to me to really like fostering connection to me was at the heart of like how to sustain or how to thrive. Um, And so I think Africana studies does do a disservice by not really addressing the environmental component of these movements for our collective like respect and and equity um, in this country. And I think that is probably why I didn't focus on environmentalism at the time. When I was when I was in school, um, it looked to me like a Patagonia ad. Mm. You know, it looked to me like, yeah. you know, like this isn't like all these white boys in this class. Like, you know, it just didn't look like something that would be a, a, honestly a safe place for me to learn. <laughs> and right. so, I didn't feel um, I didn't feel like that was accessible to me you know, in the 2000s. Now, you know, that's totally different, but... Um, I mean, it's not, though. It's not accessible enough, in my it's opinion. Not enough, right, right. We do have, yeah, much more work to do. I would love to hear, like, more about what you, we, what you both have been doing with Sustainable Brooklyn. We understand that you have, like, fashion, like food and wellness as it's as these three like pillars of engagement. But like, what exactly are are you all doing? How are the ways you're engaging with communities? We'd love to just hear more. The genesis of Wit and I meeting 
was beautiful because we didn't create a business plan. We didn't create, you know, a detailed blueprint of how we want sustainable Brooklyn to look like, but we felt that we needed to change systems and build community. And so I think that's what we set out to do. And we do a couple of things. We address like the limitations in the movement by creating conversations, for example, on social media and things of that nature. But I think the beauty of what we do is actually meet in real time. So we produce um, elemental symposiums, fire, air, earth, water. I know I said that all type of backwards. Um, we had our Earth and Air Symposium in 2019 um, and really challenging the mainstream notion of sustainability by putting black and brown people at the core of our programming um, and pushing a different agenda of what liberation looks like in sustainability from a very holistic 360 approach, of course, discussing fashion, food um, and wellness. Uh, we do local community programming, uh, consulting with different brands and agencies, really just figuring out the different pieces to the puzzle that contributes to community and challenges systems, mainly corporate systems, to become more, I wouldn't even say empathetic, but become more aware so that they can uh, shift their their consciousness level with regards to how they operate in the professional sustainability space. We've gone to composting sites. We've had um, beach cleanup and surf day free at that point for our community. Stop Scrap in a nutshell is pretty much like this really amazing like textile resource center understanding that there's so much waste with regards to textile in New York and really all over the world. So they created a whole system of collecting like donated fabrics and collecting what essentially would be landfill trash with regards to clothing and separating it and, and uh, selling it to different organizations who can use those different pieces of the fabric, whether it's zippers, um, whether it's the clothing themselves, but it's just creating a circular sort of a local circular economy with regards to, to fashion so it doesn't go to waste. And so we volunteered there as one of our volunteer days because we have monthly uh, community volunteers. I mean, I also gr grow up going to like thrift stores and Mm -hmm. Kind of being kind of being ashamed of it almost because I always you know no. I, I we talk about this a lot in our podcast like on pre previous episodes about at least how I how I mean I constantly reflect on how materialistic I was as a kid and how I wanted like all of, like the new things not knowing that my mom had me on like such a sustainable but also like future wave that I'll be tapping into the rest of my life, which is shopping right. secondhand. Mm -hmm. um, and so to think now that there's such a, like in a, almost an abundance of, of clothing now because of fast fashion and how much that industry does contribute to sort of the, the, the climate crisis that we're in. It's just, it's, it's 
crazy to think about, but to also know that there's an organization like this that's trying to put that, you know, high turnover clothing to use into something that people could continue to create from is is really great to hear. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. I mean, let me let me just be clear. It sucks because you as well as so many other people have felt ashamed for secondhand shopping. And I think we've been operating in a system that has made us feel ashamed. And I think it needs to be noted that now that it's sort of trendy to be secondhand and it's become a popularized thing now that it's now you know, now it's cool. And right. I I'm I'm a big proponent of letting people know at the top of my lungs like we have been doing sustainable things but even before it was cool and we made it look fly and mm -hmm. we were being resourceful. And mm -hmm. I just think it's so important now that things are, you know, popular. Um, it's just important to know that there was a source and there was a real cultural relevancy to this, you know, area of sustainability. Like the I policy just, discussion, I just, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Don. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm like the politics of fashion are so deep for especially black people in this community like I mean this this country like it has been the difference between whether we live or die whether we're dressed like quote unquote respectively in the past you know or even now you know like and I think that the way that we've had to sort of negotiate our space and our safety based on our choices of how we choose to like you know what what limited choices we have had throughout history and you know what our choices are now and how we like show up in the world i think that 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 is like so inherently grain ingrained and in why i'm like so interested in, in in the fashion industry and um you know i think that's why like you know our our entry point initially yes fashion like the the symposia you know, the workshops that we developed, you know, the public speaking, you know, all of that, you know, we're looking at it first from the entry point of fashion, but then seeing how agriculture is so enmeshed with the foundation of fashion and how they're ex ex inextricably linked, you know, um, we, you know, then engage stakeholders in fashion and agriculture. And then well-being is also a part of that because it's based on how we live our lives. Like we have to be able to sustain ourselves in order to sustain um, community. Um, and so, you know, we engage with farmers in terms of agriculture, like by highlighting their work in our symposia, we take our community to their gardens or to their farms, um, you know, through our volunteer days. So like we're, we're forming these connections that are based on just our, our interests and, and how we align with the ecosystem that is first ourselves and then our communities. Um, and, you know, we're sort of just like translating that to a bigger audience and trying to create more connections that are based on this intention of, you know, based on our definition of sustainability. I think it's really, I mean, even though obviously these trends are so fickle and um, rarely rooted by like a desire for actual change, I am really happy now that sort of secondhand and like vintageness is in style because I do think that it was, uh, I, I do think it was a specific element of like mainstream pop culture in the late 90s and early 2000s that having new stuff was so important at that time. 
Yeah. And I and like Marcel, I mean, this is something as Marcel said that she and I have bonded over. I, I think especially because like I also grew up with like a lot of secondhand stuff and hand me downs. Like I was wearing hand me downs for my mom. Yeah. Like I am in school and it's in like a dress from the late sixties. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, so I think that um just how that's been reoriented and the fact that I don't that you know we don't have to all be obsessed with like old navy, there's something that that we've laughed about before is definitely one of the few positive changes in fashion in in that time. Um, But anyway, moving on, another question that we had before we sort of get into our current situation is wondering what kind of responses have you guys received like from your community that you've been serving? And also within that, have there been, like, what have you learned from that? Like, have you learned about new issues you should pay more attention to or like maybe new needs that you weren't aware of that you got to know from just like the interaction? Um, um, <laughs> so I think we're, we have this pause because our, it, it's immense. Go ahead, Wick. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, but but I think going off of what I was saying about, you know, our intention being to form connections um, to spark the uh, community engagement and organizing. I think that, you know, that has been one of the main responses we've we've received from our community based on the work we've done is just like seeing the ways these connections are happening and leading to uh, more opportunities to build towards a sustainable future that centers the marginalized um and um yeah so i think if anything um we're seeing our relevancy amplified uh during this time and i think that um the response from the community is you know that hey like this is a unique opportunity. I'm sorry, I'm going into COVID. That's just what's on my oh, mind. We're going to get, get there. We're going to get there. I think also just as somebody who's been, quote unquote, in the sustainability space, all of the air quotes, um, seeing, I think the first thing is seeing that, physically being able to see that there is community who are looking to build upon these different ideas of sustainability was super important. And a big thing for us is that so many community members that we've um, helped connect um, are cross-pollinating with one another, creating a larger ecosystem, which is beautiful. Um, I think there's just, just a beautiful, air of increased awareness for the need for sustainability, for the amplification of sustainability, and just the importance of connecting with one another um, to really build an organic collective. Um, So yeah, I I think community is definitely the key word. And, And people come to us all the time, whether in person or digitally, writing us emails, sliding in our DMs, just sharing their appreciation for the work that we're doing and and the way that we present 
what we're presenting, especially in symposiums. And something as small as coordinating a community event at a local garden, despite the fact that the garden can be in somebody's neighborhood, sometimes it's challenging to take that first step and go. So having events, having community events at a garden definitely helps people say, you know what, I want to support this garden more. So little things like that, that gives us just the ammunition to keep going and keep building out um, our ecosystem. Absolutely. Like creating those entry points for people to actually engage with these issues. It's so, yeah, that's, that's everything. And that's, that's really important. So once we're no longer on lockdown, I look forward to <laughs> attending <laughs> one of your symposia uh, because I've been, yeah, that's soon, soon, fingers crossed. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, getting into, you know, this, I, I'm in kind of in shock about what we're currently experiencing in many ways. Like I'm not in shock about this crisis, but right. you know, I'm still kind of emotionally dealing with this COVID-19 situation, but you know what, what it has revealed are things that I think we all know of already, which are <laughs> the inherent interconnections between inequality, the environment and health and well-being in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, some recent uh, data from New York City in particular, where we're all um, based, reveals some really harrowing, but unfortunately unsurprising data, which is that the, this epidemic is having a disproportionate impact on residents of, of the city's poorest neighborhoods, particularly Queens is being hard hit and areas like Jackson Heights, Elmhurst and Corona, which are generally poor and and densely packed. Um, these areas have been the hardest hit and of course have medical facilities that are currently being pushed to their edge. And so that that context amidst everything else that was going on, you know, I'm curious to hear from both of you about, you know, how has your view of sustainability, how is it evolving in this time? Um, how has it been impacted by um, this ongoing crisis? I know a big question, but I'm curious to hear like what your takes are. Since we're in week three of this, what have what have been some of your reflections on this? I mean, like real talk, I'm having, I'm just like opening myself up to the idea that this is happening because we have stopped like learning how to grieve and to, um, um. And we've, we haven't allowed ourselves the time to do that. And so I think that as I'm feeling all the feels, um, my view of sustainability is, you know, it, it, it's going along with all of these feelings, like vacillating between like how fucking dare y'all all of a sudden realize all of the shit that we've already been, that we've already known, that we've been struggling and fighting for, um, you know, based on our livelihoods and for generations. <laughs> and now, you know, right. like these inefficiencies are all of a sudden being, you know, light is being shed on these inefficiencies. And um, so I'm, part of me is just like, just like, come on. And then the other part of me is just like deeply optimistic about, you know, the future of, of a community that, that we're nurturing, you know, as sustainable Brooklyn, you know, as individuals. Um, and, you know, we're seeing all of these like, you know, sh community strengthening um, 
sort of actions taking place throughout, um, you know, various intersections that we navigate. And it's, that's really, that's really beautiful. So I'm seeing more action being put to the theory um, without even people being like, I'm an expert, you know, it's like, people are just like, no, like, this is what we have to do to do this, you know, and in some ways, it's like COVID is like sort of the perfect mirror of the climate crisis for a lot of people. It's like something that's out of your control. Um, but it's also something that through certain behavioral changes, you can mitigate, um, mm. if not, you know, totally avoid. <laughs> so I think that um, I'm seeing, yeah, more action being put to the theory and it's, it is it, it's motivating me to, to continue to um, um, sit with it, you know, and process it, but also move with intention uh, as, you know, co-found as Sustainable Brooklyn, but also in my individual capacity. And I want to add to the what you brought up with regards to inequality, the environment, and health. I think environmental racism is going to be a conversation that gets elevated during this time because Black and Brown and predominantly poor communities who are have the highest health risk, who are situated in food deserts and food apartheid, whose health is being systemically targeted, they're going to be the vulnerable population once this crisis continues to, to show its rear end. And so I think people are beginning to inherently um, shift their paradigm in understanding these links between environment, health, um, culture, inequality, um, politics, and as Witt said, just creating those very natural behavior shifts um, that are going to lead us to connect more with community, that's going to lead us to think about our health differently, that's going to, you know, push us to cultivate these changes that honestly weren't happening with just on-the-ground activism. We needed we needed a systemic change. And as terrible as this pandemic is, I think it's going to push people to really plant the seeds for um, becoming more sustainable within their own personal lives, within their own ecosystem, but on a community and planetary uh, point of view as well. Yeah, I think that's something that's interesting about how this has finally, as you said, like sounded the alarm about the environmental catastrophe that we have like been had been in is that the nature of this being a biomedical crisis means that it is actually applicable to everyone in a way that very few things are due mm -hmm. to like inequality and the different types of lives that we all live. And I think that in a, like one, of, I've, I have felt that one of the biggest challenges in getting people to recognize like the need to pay attention to sustainability and the environment has been that it's so easy to insulate yourself often from the effects of, of, of all the detrimental change. Mm -hmm. So this is like, no one can say that they are being unaffected by what is going on right now. So that in a way is, is like 
uh, as you said, like a positive that will create change regardless of, of whether people want to change or not. Exactly. But I'm wondering also right. um, um, how you guys are imagining, I mean, this is something that Marcel and I are both grappling with like professionally and in, you know, all the things that we do outside of work and, and our friendships, like for the type of work that, that you do together at, as Sustainable Brooklyn, what is what is organizing and, and like teaching this going to mean for you during social distancing? Like, have you been thinking about what kind of approaches for the near and long term you might adopt to like get the message across in this new context? We we are um, definitely processing still. So we're we are sitting with what's going on and trying to make sure our families are okay. Um, I think that hasn't really like. That's been the main, um, I think that's been the main thing that we've been focused on in the past like three weeks. But in terms of like how we're going to move forward, um, yeah, I mean, it really like we're we're setting up meetings with our advisors, and we are, you know, based on the questions that we have and based on the questions that we've received from you know, friends, family, uh, people in the community, we're gearing up, we're setting up basically like an IGTV series um, to highlight people who are on the ground doing the work and who don't have the ability to stay home and, um, you know, to, to find out what they need, how we can support, um, just to spread more awareness and and, you know, really not really create this sort of like uh, foundation for the out of sight, out of mind approach that we see in the climate justice or climate crisis conversations um, to really like eliminate that possibility. <laughs> um, so, and also, yeah, it's just like to hear from firsthand from people who are, um, who are really just showing up out of necessity and out of, um, yeah, out of necessity, really, for our community. For and, our um, I think for us, we we looked, we focused on self, um, and I think that's an important aspect of sustainability that people don't talk about a lot. And this pandemic has forced us to sit with ourselves and really focus on whatever healing mechanisms we needed. Excuse me. Whatever healing mechanisms we needed, whatever individual time we needed to ourselves, like we focused on the self aspect of sustainability, and then we're still in the process of understanding what the community needs and making sure that we're being intentional about um, sharing the next layer of messaging and and projects. And the beautiful thing, as we mentioned, is our community is fucking dope. It's beautiful. And we're watching a lot of our community members step up in different ways um, and fi figuring out how to amplify our community in the most meaningful and impactful way and continue to be that connector, continue to be that bridge between the different aspects of our community who are at different stages of crisis. Um, so yeah, we're we're proactive and reactive at the same time. 
Yeah, as I feel like all of us are, as we're trying to just improvise and figure out, you know, what's the best way to move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate both of you saying that you're taking the time, like, respectively and together to, yeah, reflect and and take care of yourself and your families. I feel like, I mean, I've had many a social media rant in my quarantine time at home <laughs> about just this <laughs> unsustainable drive towards, like, productivity and creating something and and, yep. and keeping up with your work in a way in this sort of like hyper capitalistic uh practice that has gotten us to this point in the first place so i think it's it's mm-hmm. it's quite important what you're saying that you know sometimes we do need you know sadly we do need crises to make us stop and think and re- and consider and and um help us kind of reorient what what's going on in our lives and what we need to prioritize so i appreciate you both like sharing that that's what you're focused on at this at this moment i mean i think i i think it was dominique that just mentioned that you had some questions and 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 ideas from family and friends coming into to both of you all at this time and i guess a question that we had is perhaps what advice could you offer, I mean, selfishly, me and Isabel, but also like our <laughs> listeners, you were like, help us. Um, any type of, you know, people's lifestyles have had to shift in a major way and have, and uh, will have to continue to change. Um, and so I'm curious to hear from both of you for people who want to continue to cultivate a sustainable life practice for themselves and their community in such a like paradigm shifting moment that we're in right now. Like perhaps this is something you all are still trying to work out for yourselves, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Like if people want to, you know, use this time that we have to, to reflect on what a sustainable life practice can and will mean for them, like what can, what can people do? I mean, I think the first thing would be to focus on, your your ecosystem and the health of that you know what assessing where your needs are where you haven't healed or where you need to sort of like um yeah what what needs to happen in order for um healing to take place and i think practically that looks many different ways um Right now, we're all forced to stay home, or we should stay home. So I think immediately, like we are, these drastic lifestyle changes are, you know, they are sustainable to a certain extent. Um, I think that it doesn't have to look like this, like drastic lifestyle changes, but in the future, um, just thinking about how resourceful one can be during a pandemic. Like, I think I learned a lot of my sustainability practices from my grandmother who survived the great depression. Um, and so I think that there's really no difference in, in how we're going to see the, the economic, like unsustainability, you know, even more exaggerated in the future. Um, and the fallout from that. And I think that, you know, we're going to have to address the external factors that motivate us to live differently, but also um, be in touch with ourselves and our truths and our, you know, really like living with intention to, to create or to just like not fuck up the earth or your community to the point where it doesn't survive. I think, I think people have to realize 
that um, they're not going to be the same after this. I think it's important for folks to understand that more than likely you don't want to be the same after this. And the system in which we've all been operating shouldn't be the same after this. And so for me, I think it's a lot of it, <clears throat> a word that, <clears throat> excuse me, a word that continues to to come to the to my frontal lobe is reimagining. How do we want to reimagine what this new system is going to look like? How do we want to reimagine how we're going to personally take up space in an intentional, in an ethical, in a communicative, um, in a spiritual way? And so I think a lot of this is no matter what modality you choose to deal with this pandemic while you're in the home or whether you're out, you know, on the front lines, I think it's about how do you want to show up and how do you, how do you want to become a better version of yourself? And, and it doesn't have to be something grand or big. It can be something very small, very, you know, with it for yourself or for your family. Um, it doesn't have to be this super crazy esoteric leadership role. But I think just all pushing us to have a responsibility to, to have that mental shift and understanding that it is the time to reimagine um, because the way things were, wasn't sustainable. And so taking whatever baby steps you find necessary for yourself, um, understanding that there is no, you know, monolithic definition of sustainability. It's curated and curtailed based on who you are, where you're at. Um, and so just, just molding that version of yourself during this time so that as we, as you know, the planet evolves, you're going to evolve in a positive way. And get into Afrofuturism. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, that's right I, on time for that. <laughs> right right on time. Mm-hmm. Octavia Butler knew all this was all going to happen. I was like, just about to say, come on, tens, or 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> word, word. Aye, aye, aye. She already knew. She already knew. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow. Well, I mean, this has been so inspiring. And I mean, in a midst of such a crazy, unpredictable, like every single day, you know, this idea of like reimagining and using this time to really be proactive in creating the world that um, we hope to emerge from um, better, mm-hmm. more grounded um in a place where we recognize more of our inherent interconnectedness. I think if anything, we're currently battling not just, you know, the crisis of, of capitalism and the ways in which it's impacted our, the li- the well-being of life on this planet and the mm-hmm. planet in general, but you know, our health systems, hopefully I, the only thing that really keeps me going right now is just hoping that, you know, this, this situation can, can be a catalyst for um, positive change. And that's really, that's that's what I'm hoping for, but you know, it's going to take work and also like the mobilization of folks like um, you guys, Whitney and Dominique, who are really um, creating those spaces to have people come to to come together who, who really want to engage in this kind of work. So thank you for, for, for what you both are doing. And thank you. um, 
you. For Thanks for holding space. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Thank you for sharing this. Week three of quarantine. Dominique yeah, Baker and Whitney McGuire. <laughs> exactly. So this is history, history making for us. Um, so thank you so much again. We'd love, where can pe if people are interested in learning more about you both, what you all are up to, where can, where can you, where can people find you? Um, primarily our Instagram, which is sustainable BK. And we're in the process of updating our website and that's sustainablebk.co. So definitely Instagram. Perfect. All right. So Dominique Drakeford and Whitney McGuire, co-founders of Sustainable Brooklyn. Thank you so much for being on the Top Rank podcast. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thanks for having us. Of course. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah. What else is there to say, Isabel, about what, we, what we're doing with this? You can find us on the internet since everyone's spending a lot of time there these days at, at Top Rank podcast. And Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in and we will be back soon with another unfortunately probably quarantined episode.